0: Have you remember a person from Saturday Night Live a few years ago named Gilda Radner? Anybody remember? Yeah, some of you remember that. None of you over here have a, Gilda Radner. And Gilda Radner. Gilda Radner was uh, Rosanna Dana something. I forgot her name. It was a crazy name on there, but she was hilarious. But she wrote a she wrote a she wrote a book uh, near the end of her life. She died twenty years ago, well, over twenty years ago, of of uh, ovarian cancer. And uh, the book was called "It's Always Something." And in that book, she told a story of a, of a two-legged pregnant dog. And I thought I'd start this morning with that story. Um, it was an interesting story because she said there was this, there was this dog and obviously the problem with this dog, it was pregnant, but it was also because it was pregnant, it obviously didn't move quickly enough uh, to get out of the way of the lawnmower. And so when it did, the lawnmower ran over the back two legs. And uh, the, the family was crushed. They took it to the vet, and they couldn't discuss. They wanted to say, you know, uh, what can we do? What can we do? And the, the vet said, well, the, the, the puppy seemed to be all right. I can either do one of two things. I can stitch up the dog and, uh, you know, the legs. And then we'll have you back legs, but I think he can uh, make make do. She can make do, not he can make do. She can make do. And uh, or or I can put her, put her to sleep. And they, of course, love the dog. And they said, you know, stitch up the legs, and we'll see what we can do. And so he did. They take the dog home. And uh, the dog uh, amazingly learned how to get around with no two back legs. It was kind of like it would take its two front paws and it would go step, step, and then kind of pull its backside along. So it was step, step, slide, step, step, slide was kind of the way the dog was doing this. And so it was this, you know, heavy pregnant dog uh, with no two back legs. And so the finally came time for the puppies to be born. And the puppies were born. And, and they were fine. And um, the mother dog weaned them. And the puppies were healthy and, and everything was going fine. Uh, and in the puppies, the only problem was the puppies, when they started walking, learned to walk by imitating their mother. Can you imagine that sight? And there were six of them. So, you know, here's the mom, step, step, slide, step, step, slide. And here's six little puppies, step, step, slide, right behind the mom. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about uh, who is watching you and imitating you. Uh, We'll change track a little bit here. Who's imitating you? Are people watching you and doing what you're doing? Uh, yeah, they are. Um, uh, sometimes we believe that we really don't influence other people. Some of us you know, know that we influence people, and some of us uh, realize uh, that who, are, who our s- uh, sphere of influence is. For some of us it's obvious. Uh, those of you who are bosses, or if you're a teacher in a classroom. Uh, you know who you're influencing, right? But every day you have people that's under your influence. Uh, if you're a leader of a small group, you have people that uh, you're influencing as well. Or maybe you're a coach of a team; you influence a group of people there as well. But for some, so for some of you, it's easy to figure out who your litter of pups are. You know who is following you. But for some of you, you'll say, "Well, not I'm not really. You know, I don't have a position of influence. I'm not a person who leads people. Uh, but you do have influence." in your life. Uh you have you have people who are watching you. It may be your kids. It may be your neighbors. It may be your coworkers. Uh, it may be people just that you don't even recognize uh, except you cross paths with them on a regular basis that are watching the way you walk, the way you take your steps every day. And today, as we begin, I want you to think about that circle of influence. Maybe today, think of a, of a target, of a, of an archery target with a bullseye and circles outside of it. And think about all the people in the target, in the center of the target is your family. Who are the people in your family that you influence? And then that next circle is your, uh, neighbors and close friends. Who are those people that you influence that live right around you? And a little further out are people that you come in contact with, say, at work or at school. Who are those people that you influence? See, there's people, if you begin to think about it, there are people that you cross paths with every day that you influence their life in some way. And there many times, as you call yourself a believer, a Christian, a disciple of Christ, there are people who are looking at you and are following your example. The Apostle Paul did exactly uh That which he, he did, he realized that he had these people that he were in, was influencing in his life. And we've been going through the Book of Acts, and as we've gone through Acts, there's been different segments of the Book of Acts. At first, you know, the the beginning of the church, and then Peter becomes the the primary person in Acts for a long time, and then we began to look at the Apostle Paul. And if I was to categorize the last few chapters of Acts, which we're beginning to get into today, and we'll finish up with over the next few weeks, I would categorize it as, if I gave it a title, is the the power of absolute surrender what does it look like when you absolutely surrender your life to christ so i hope you'll hang in there with us over the next few weeks i know some of you this is vacation time a year and you notice we have less chairs in here so we push you together we can do that strategically it's on purpose you know and there's still a row here to front like you know you pay extra for these at a theater or you know at a at a, at a Production, but not church for some reason. I don't get it, okay. Uh, but the deal is, is that uh, we're going to be talking about, this is an important wrap-up here of, of the part, the last part of Acts, is, is really, what does it mean to live a life of submission to God? And it's really, we will see that lived out in the life of Paul. In doing it the last few chapters, this is an important part, maybe one of the most important parts of the book of Acts. But today we're in Acts chapter 20, so if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with them to Acts chapter 20. And uh, we're going to be looking at today uh, something that the Apostle Paul realized. He had, he had spent three years living and teaching with a group of people called the Ephesians, the Ephesus Church and on his way to Jerusalem as he concludes his missionary journeys we've talked about over the last few weeks what happens is he begins to conclude his journey and he heads back to his home well to the to the headquarters of of everything and that is Jerusalem but many of his friends and colleagues realize that every time he's gone to Jerusalem he gets in trouble because there's a lot of people in Jerusalem that simply do not like him and so they're encouraging him not to go but at the same time he feels compelled by the spirit to go, and so in Acts chapter 20, what he does is he's getting ready to leave these people that he'd spent this one church, particularly this Ephesian church, that he spent uh, uh, three years uh, in, encouraging, uh, back and forth, working with, and and he asked the leaders of that church to meet him in a place called Miletus, and and Luke, uh, who is going along with him on this journey, who writes the book of Acts, records the words of the apostle Paul as he's there. And what the Apostle Paul does as he gets there, he kind of gives them a closing address. He says, look at some things. Here's, here's how I have lived my life. This is how I have walked among you. And so this morning I want, to, want us to use this as a framework to ask ourselves some questions about how are we walking our life? Uh, who are the people that we're influencing? And I've t- entitled the message, What Does Your Life Say As You Live Out Your Life? This is what Paul, the Apostle Paul would say. This is what my life has said to you. First, in Acts chapter 20, verse 18, we read this first thing. He said this before, you know, Paul, think about all that Paul did. Did Paul have any influence at all in the Bible? Sure he did. He wrote a large portion of the New Testament. He, he said a lot of things. He talked about a lot of issues. And he could have started by saying, hey, look at what I've taught you. But that's not where he starts. He says, first of all, in your life, lead with your life. That's the first point. Before he referred to his words, he referred to his life. And he says this in Acts 20.18. When they arrived, he said to them, the first words he says to this group of leaders is, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. And later on in verse 33 and 34, he says this, he says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Basically, he's saying, remember the way, if you remember the way I lived, remember the way I lived my life out before you, how I treated people, how I took care of my own needs, how I was not a burden to anyone. Remember that, if you remember nothing else, the first thing he says, remember to lead with your life there's a phrase i've heard many times but i think it's really true is that ways always trump words ways always trump words the way you live speaks louder than what you say we as parents know that we can say all we want to our kids but our kids will really believe what we do and then people do the same thing You know, a person, I believe, cannot be eloquent enough to overcome bad character. They can try. I could say they become politicians, but I won't say that. But the issue is, you you know, uh, eloquent words do not overcome bad character. But ever so often, you find in life someone who has the right words and the right life. And you know what that's called? Influence. The right words connected with the right living is influence. It's somebody called a leader. People follow people who not only speak the right words, but also live their life in the same way that the words that come out of their mouth say. And Paul was saying, look at my life. As I think back to all the people in my life that I have uh, encountered over the years, there always stands out one guy that I only know, I only met personally and, and interacted with closely with for about six or less than six months, probably less than six months, one semester when I was in college at Carson Newman College in Tennessee. It was my senior year, and we had a visiting professor, and his name was Dr. T.B. Maston. Dr. Maston was a retired seminary professor from Southwestern Seminary in, in Dallas-Fort Worth, and he had come there to campus to teach just a couple of classes that semester. And I only, had, I only got to know him for one semester, but he left an, a lasting impact on, on my life, and it's not from the words he said. Even though we had a really neat class, it was one of those senior seminar type classes where in a small college, you can sit around a table. We were sitting around a conference table, just like eight or ten of us with a professor and talking and interacting. The thing was, as I saw how he lived his life, he was the most humble, gracious, loving, compassionate, caring, you I mean, just keep going on, guy that I'd ever met in my life. And I saw that in the way he treated his wife. He called her granny. At this time, he was in his late or mid-70s and he was just a gracious loving caring guy he you know he's words he had taught seminary he was an intelligent man and i went with him on a trip to nashville tennessee when i was when i was in school and we were taking this class it was a really weird class i know for you guys because i was in a southern baptist school you know a baptist school and we were going to nashville where the head of the southern baptist we call it the baptist vaticans at and uh and we were going to the Sunday school board. And as so we went there, that's where the headquarters of all the stuff that goes on, the publishing arm and all the administrative stuff goes on. So we went there. As a, The class I was taking was called Southern Baptist Studies. You know, I'm going, better learn about who, who I'm hanging out with. So so we went there. And we went there in and, a and TV T.B. And here's this little diminutive. He was this little short guy. Looks like like somebody's grandfather. Quiet, Unassuming. But everywhere we went there and all these important people in Southern Baptist life, you know, and it's a pretty big denomination, actually the second largest uh, uh, group besides Catholics in the whole United States. And and the thing is, is that when we went there, uh, everybody that encountered him. Man, Dr. Mast, everybody knew him. But it wasn't because of his words, it was because of his life. And I'll never forget him. He left a dramatic impact on my life. The thing is, he led with his life. Let me ask you this question this morning, then, starting off. What are people catching from your life? What are people catching from your life? As they watch you live, as they watch you interact with people, as they watch what you say and what you do, do they, they match up? What are people catching from your life? And for my life. Some things you might not even intend to teach, but you do. So we got to be careful. But Paul says, hey, lead with your life, number one. Number two, he says in verse 19, he starts off in the verse and he says this, I serve the Lord with great humility. He says we need to earn respect, not demand it. Earn respect, not demand it. He didn't use his position as leverage. You know, Paul could have gone up to him and said, you know, hey, I'm an apostle. You know, I've got my degree in apostleship, whatever that is. And, and, and he said, you know, I'm an important guy. I mean, Jesus Christ came to me in a vision on the Damascus Road and made me one of his special people. He could have used that as, I mean, it was true. But he never did. Because as he went from place to place, you saw him carrying his load. He didn't, he didn't demand anything from people. He didn't demand special treatment or honor. He served with humility. He said, you know, look at my life. This is the way it was. When Thomas Jefferson was elected president of the United States, on the day of his inauguration, he walked from his hotel room to the president's house. This is the guy who was elected president. He walked. And, and, and history says that he wore such simple clothing that one senator thought that he was a servant. And one of his first declara- dec- declarations after he became president was that no coin would ever bear his image and no holiday would celebrate his birthday. See, he had been an ambassador to France before this. And he said one of the things that he learned there as he observed served people in interactions in that country was how colleagues led, lead people better than kings. And he wanted to be a colleague and not a king. That's called humility. He didn't demand his own way. You bring out the best in people and you influence people in the proper way when you don't try to lord it over them or always to be in authority you earn respect, you don't demand it. Because if you have to demand respect, guess what? You don't get it. You earn respect by doing what? By serving people. By, by serving that circle of people that are around you, that bullseye and those people outside. You earn respect for them by, by serving them, by listening to them, by considering their needs, by genuinely caring about what they're doing and how they're doing by surprising them with acts of kindness and love and service. See, when you invest in people, you bring out the best in them and ultimately the best in yourself. Paul says, look at my life. He said, I served the Lord with great humility. Then he goes on and he says in the next part of the verse, he says, and he also did it with tears. He said it with tears. And that's the the next thing I think it's important here that Paul's telling us about our life and about how we influence people is we need to ache out loud. So often we want to go around and we kind of have, we practice image control. You know, I I think, you know, I, I love tennis. And I like playing tennis and stuff and not very good at it. But, you know, I like to do it. But the issue is, is that, you remember years ago, Andre Agassi commercials? Kodak. I know it was a Kodak or something. It was some camera canon or something anyway what was the what was it image is everything yeah you remember those okay we remember commercials for some stupid reason i don't know we can't remember our homework we can remember commercials maybe we need to make our homework into commercial i don't know but the issue is is that he says he said he said it's it's not about image so often we try to act like everything's all right with us and he says sometimes he said paul said you know ache out loud he says, sometimes I wept with you and I had, I served you with humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. And, and Paul said this at one time in Romans 12, 15. He says, weep with those who weep. See, he was full of sympathy toward people. He, 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 he went there. Let me tell you something that's not a surprise to you, but just reminds you of something that sometime in the not too distant future, you probably will have the opportunity to comfort someone who is going through a difficult time. You will. Maybe one of your co-workers is is passing through a crisis and you will be tempted. This is what you'll be tempted to do because they work in your office. You'll be tempted to keep your distance from them because you will say this to yourself. Self, what if I say the wrong thing? Because we always worry about saying the right thing because we might mess their lives totally up by caring. What if they ask me a question that I cannot, I don't have the answer for? Horrible. They will think I'm not a genius. That's more about me than it is about them. And the issue is here, let me tell you this. What Paul's saying is this, he said, here, here, here's all you need to know in a situation. If you really want to care and if you want to ache out loud with people, just weep with them. I cannot tell you how often as a pastor I've gone to people and I don't have words to say. I don't. I remember time after time over the years going to a family who's lost a a child or something tragic happened in their lives. And what do you say to make things better then? You don't say anything that makes it better. You just go and you put your arms around them and you weep with them. That's what people need. And if they ask you a question and you don't know the answer... You go, I'll try to help you find that. And some, some questions don't have answers. This side of eternity. But Paul is saying to us how we influence people. When people look at you, what does your life say? Am I keeping my distance because I, don't, I want to appear to have everything together? Or do I care about people enough to ache out loud and to be with them and to weep with them and to be there for them? So next time somebody is going through a crisis and you don't think you have the answer, and you don't, let me just tell you, just go knock on their door and say, I'm sorry what has happened to you and let it go from there. And care. Fourth thing that Paul shares in here about his life was this. In verse, verses 20 and 21, he says, this, Deliver an eternal vision. Help people see there is more to life than this life. I mean, it is important... It isn't wonderful to lead with your life. It is hugely important to serve with humility. It's important to ache out loud, but at some point we need to put it into words. Paul says this in verse 20 and 21, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul's saying, I need to do all these things, not just ache out loud, not just be humble before you, not just live my life before you, But he says that there comes a point in time when I must put into words my convictions. I must let them know that Jesus Christ is the solution to their problems. I must must be able to to share with them how he's changed my life. And the problem is so often is we have this fear that once again we'll say the wrong thing. So what do we do? So, oh, I'm just going to live my life before them. and They'll figure it out. So we say nothing. But that's not what the Bible says we're to do. You know what it says, interestingly? Remember the key verse to this whole book of Acts? Anybody, could anybody tell me the reference we've only talked about for 20 weeks? 1-8, 1-8 thank you. Yeah. 1-8, which says, what does it say? There it goes. It's on the screen now. Okay. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be what? Witnesses. What's a witness? What's a witness in a trial? What's a witness? What's a witness do? They are supposed to just tell what they know, what they've experienced. You know, the one thing in this life, and I've said this before, the one thing in this life that you, all of you are, I know all of you are experts on. You're only experts on one thing, for certain. Maybe on some other things. But I'm for certain, I can say, you are expert on what you're li- on your on yourself, on the experience that you've had. You are the expert. And what Christ is telling us here, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, he wants us to be witness, to be able to, he says, and to do it in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Witness, what does a witness do? Witness simply says what they know. You know, God never told us in Scripture, He said, you're to be my lawyer. You're to, you know, God can do that for us. You know, the thing is, He says, but be my witness. And when you, when you live life out before people and you serve them with humility and you ache out loud, guess what people are going to do? They're going to ask, ask you this question. Why are you that way? And you know what it means to be a witness? Is that point to simply say to them, well, this is the way it used to be in my life. And just tell them the way it was before Christ. But since Christ has come into my life, this is the way it is. That's what a witness does. You can all do that, right? You're just telling your story about your encounter with Christ. In Colossians 4.8, uh, Paul said this, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. He's saying strategic. I mean, when you bump up against people, when you influence their life, what's going to happen is you will have opportunities to be a witness, not just to live your life out before them, which is it's it's great to do, not only just to, to be humble before them, which is important to do, not just to ache out loud, which is important to do, but also to speak into their life. You have that opportunity. He says, be wise to use every opportunity, the most of every opportunity. If we're always too busy with our agenda, we will never have enough time to do the important work that God has placed before us. Because no one can tell your story like you. Next, Paul says this. He said, something else I've taught you, I've lived out before you. He says this, endure difficulty with grace. And we talked about this in a whole message a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. Nothing influences people so much as how you handle adversity. Paul says this in Acts 20, verses 22 and 20, through 25. And this is a hugely important uh, verse here. It says, And now compelled by the Spirit... Remember, everybody's trying to get him to stay back and go, not stay to Jerusalem. I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However... I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among you I have gone, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will see me again. He's given his farewell address here and he's saying, Hey, you remember what, how I've endured all the hardships, the imprisonments, all the things that have gone on already and I have more ahead. He said, remember what I've done there, how that is how I've dealt with the adversity. You see, you bring out the best in others when you model how to face struggles. I'm going to go back to my most influential guy in my life, Dr. T.B. Maston. One of the things that hugely influenced me was how he treated other people, but also, I didn't tell you this, how he also treated his son. He had a handicapped son. He was in his 70s. And his son still had to live with him. Couldn't deal with life. And every day in the midst of his busy schedule of teaching and encountering students, every day I would see him on campus wheeling his handicapped son for a walk. Every day that it was nice for a walk around campus. Sometimes for an hour. For long periods of time. And he never once, I didn't even know he had that issue. He had a son in his life. Because, you know, he could have, could have been, oh, you know, I just got such a burden. He never called it a burden. He's, actually, when I asked him finally about it, I said, how did this all happen? What happened? And he shared a story. And, and he, said, he said, well, you know, you know, I could look at it as a burden. Some people do. But my wife and I, Granny and I, have looked at it as a joy. That we had the opportunity to spend a lot more time with our child that most people get to. Most of the time, you get around 18 years and then you, they're gone. He said, we've got to spend 52 years at that point in his life. See, you bring out the best in others when you model how to face the struggles in life and you do it with with humility. You do it with... And you look at life in a different way. Finally, Paul says this, and this is the last point for the day. He says, you know, if, 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 as I live my life, how to influence people, the the most important thing is to remember Jesus. If you want to bring out the best of people, remember Jesus. This is what he says in verse 35. Skip down a little bit. In everything I did... He said, In everything I did. Remember, underlined it. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus Himself said. Constantly, Paul is telling us, remember what Jesus did. Remember what Jesus did. He didn't wear a bracelet that said W J D. He's, you know, he he lived it. He said it. Because he thought about it. When he thought about Paul's always remembered the words of Jesus because Paul always was bringing out the best in others because he knew how Jesus had brought out the best in him. He pointed people to Jesus. It wasn't about, look at me, Paul, the great apostle. It was about, how can I serve and how can I point people toward Jesus? And how I'll influence people in my life and what will I do in my life? I heard a story many years ago about a true story about a, a man who, in China, a Chinese man who had gone to a medical clinic there. And he had uh, had some kind of condition with his eyes that he had almost gone blind. And he went there to the clinic hoping that they could do something for him. And, and as they began to work in his eyes, they discovered it was something that could be reversed and they did and, and an operation on him. And eventually his eyes were cleared up and he had fairly decent vision. And then for years he'd been almost totally blind. He was so grateful that he had gotten sight back. This was a large clinic. He went to every person personally in that clinic, every nurse, every person that worked there. I didn't care who, what job they did, and he personally thanked every one of them. And then after he had been healed, he went home. And they thought, we'll never see this guy again. It's great, I'm glad he did that, but we'll never see him again. Little did they know a few months later, though, what he'd been doing this whole time after he left, because a few months later, he shows back up at his clinic, and he's got a hold of a rope, but on the, on the end of this long rope were 48 other people who all had serious blindness problems. He had walked hundreds of miles, and he had gathered up all these people. Some, had, some of them had walked as far as 250 miles, they found out, to come to this clinic. He was grateful And so he led others and he influenced others to do something that would help lead to their restoration as well. See, that's how it works. We find somebody who will restore our sight. the only one who can is who? Jesus. And then we go find people who want to see. And then we lead them. And we bring them to the one who restored us. Because we remember what Jesus has done for us. So I ask you again. What does your life say? How are you influencing people? Because you are. I am. Are we leading them toward the one who can give them life? Are we spending our time in such a way that, it, that it's productive and helpful for others? What does your life say? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.